For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to those, <clears throat> and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give to you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. <clears throat> and about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us and have borne the burden in the, uh, who have borne the burden in the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Good morning. <laughs> well, I wanna just jump right in, just to grab you in, because we're gonna look at this idea. I mean, there's a lot we can learn from that parable, but what we're gonna focus on today is this idea of envy and jealousy. Um, and when we think about that man who was hired, he started off his day just idle. He had no work. No one had given him the dignity of work. No one had utilized his gifting, his talent, his abilities. He, he had nothing. And then this landowner comes along and offers him a job. And if anyone's been out of work, hoping for work, when you get a job offer, you can probably relate to the feelings. He was probably elated. I mean, he was probably very thankful. He didn't ask about the job. He just took it and he just went with it. And so from that point, I imagine he probably had this greater sense of peace of security and of just thankfulness that he gets to put some sweat into the day and, and put some hard work in. And so this man goes off to the vineyard, hardworking, thankful, and I would argue a whole man. But then something happened later in the day when it was time for them to get paid. What happened was they all lined up and the people who came at the end of the day got their payment first. And when that man who got hired in the beginning saw how much they got paid and how much he got paid, he began to grumble. And he complained against that generous landowner. And what happened was envy took root in his heart. Envy traveled that well-traveled road of comparison and took root. And I would argue that he was no longer a whole man. That if he was whole before, he was no longer whole now. That he could have been this great oak of righteousness, but instead ended up as a dry and withering branch. And we're in this series called Whole, uh, and we're focused on really the, the focus passage is Isaiah 61, where it talks about Jesus coming with the Spirit of the Lord being upon him, anointing him to do good works, to pre preach good news to the poor. Ultimately, that those who receive this message would become oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. And what I want us to see today is that envy and jealousy are like termites in those oak trees. They, they destroy the trees from the inside out. That, that worker, his, his oil of gladness was stolen from him. He was no longer whole. 
And so the main takeaway today is, is just, just don't be jealous, okay? I, I think that probably does sum it up, but I'll, I'll explain a little bit more. Envy and jealousy um, are tools that are used by the devil to steal, kill, and destroy. If you remember John 10, 10, it says the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. And I would argue that these are some of his primary tools, envy and jealousy, that he accomplished that, to accomplish that mission for him. It steals your joy, steals your peace. It kills your relationships because you can't have love between people if you have envy and it destroys your own life. And I hope we can shed light and see how to overcome this evil through just simply understanding who God is, just seeing who our Father is, understanding who we are as the body of Christ, as the church, and then lastly, most importantly, just to know ourselves a little bit better, just to really see what is ours and what is not ours, okay? So let's start by defining envy and jealousy. So envy is not just a bad habit, and envy is probably not a word we don't even use that much in, in our society. We use the word jealousy, <clears throat> um, but it's not an innocent thing. It's not an innocent thought, oh, I just had this thought, or it's not an innocent feeling. It is a sin, and it separates you from God. It's actually one of the seven deadly sins, if you remember, if you know what that is. It's second only to pride, probably because they're very closely related. But James 3.16 says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Galatians 5.19-21, here's a list of bad things. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and all these things, so on and so forth. And those will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so the point of just seeing that is to see that when we read in the New Testament, we see envy and jealousy, it's attached to like evil things and evil desires and, and actions. Um, and it, it is an inward sin that has an outward effect. It's an inward sin that is the root of actually many outward sins. And so in our context today, we're gonna use envy and jealousy as synonyms. And many times in the New Testament, at least, those words are interchangeable, even though there is a difference. Uh, and there is a jealousy which is good, which we will talk about in a little bit. So what exactly is envy? There's a well-known children's story that demonstrates this uh, very well. It's the story of Snow White. We all know this. The queen so envied Snow White's beauty that she went to the extreme lengths of poisoning her so that she could have the title, fairest of them all, right? There was some comparison in her life that led her down this road of envy that led to these evil actions. Envy is simply the feeling that it's not only that you want something, but it's that you feel that you deserve something that belongs to someone else whether it's possessions, status, success, virtues, whatever, but it belongs to someone else. Someone once put it this way, envy is the art of counting the other fellow's blessing instead of your own. That's envy. It's a great way to summarize it. So I, I have a graphic I wanna point out real quick. First graphic, following the graphic trend since last week. There it is. So we're gonna kind of travel this road uh, this morning and kind of see where, where we end up. But <clears throat> if you notice starting with envy and jealousy in the middle, the root of that is coveting, coveting. You remember that as one of, the, one of the 10 commandments? Coveting is a hidden sin, and it's actually the only sin listed in the 10 commandments that is hidden. Nine out of 10 are about action or inaction. Talking about the law given to Moses. But the 10th was internal, 
No one could see that because it's just what you desire in your heart. And this is the one that, if you remember in Romans chapter seven, Paul admits to not keeping. He said, when it comes to the law, he was blameless. He called himself the, uh, the Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and no one could fault him when it comes to the law. For the simple fact that no one could look into his heart and see coveting there, because only God could see that, and only he knew that. It was coveting that was hidden in him, and that's the one he said, that is the one I cannot keep. You shall not covet. And coveting can easily and very often does go under the radar of sins. When we think of sins, we don't, I, I just, I highly doubt coveting would come to the top three. When I say, what are the top three sins you can think of? It's just like, it might not even make the top 10. We just don't think about it. You're like, wait, coveting, is that a sin? I didn't think about that. But it masquerades as an innocent desire. It says, I just, I just kind of want that. Or like, I feel like I should have that. Why don't I have that? We don't think anything, it's so innocent. But I want us to see that it is not innocent at all. And often it's linked to the eyes. If you remember in the, the story of the parable we just read, the landowner says, is your eye envious? And it's linked to the eye in the sense that it's linked to comparison. That's the beginning of this road. Comparison is the root of all of this. And the unhealthy comparison is when you compare what you have to what others have. That is an unhealthy comparison. That's where it comes from. And this is why visuals are actually so important in the marketing world. I don't know if anyone's into marketing, but it's like obviously when it comes to like being advertised at, <laughs> like visuals are so important. They matter because the world is telling us to want and then to want some more and then to want some more, to want, to want, to want. It's as if the world was like on a microphone just shouting, you need this, you don't be content. Don't be content, don't be content. It's the constant message we're hearing because of, of our eyes what we're seeing. And if the world is not gonna poison us with anything, it will at least poison us with want. We will want something that God has not given us. And, and let's be honest, it's not easy to, in, to be content um, when we see what other people have and what we don't. It's not easy. But coveting, it really is the start of this long journey that leads to death. And see, God calls it a sin not because it's not, he doesn't call sin in an arbitrary way. He mean, that means he knows us, he made us. And so when he calls a thing a sin, it's because it's bad for us. It's not just arbitrary. Like, hey, don't clap five times in a row. That's not bad for us. Therefore, it's not a sin. It's like, but when he says covenant is a sin, it's because it's going to hurt you. It's going to bring pain into your life. Because the more you have, the more you want. We all know this. This is the root of the classic idiom Give an inch and they'll take a mile, right? I experienced this yesterday with a bag of chips. You all have to. It was actually Pringles, excuse me. <laughs> Once you pop, you know how it is. It's, it's like, man, I just want one and now where did the rest of them go? But we end up deceiving ourselves with coveting because we think that when we get more, we deceive ourselves into thinking that means I am successful. That means I made it. We think, that success, we think we're successful when we get along. We even say things like, that man has done, has, he's done well for himself. Has he? <laughs> By what standard? Maybe he has. But what is our standard for, for measuring that? That man has done well for himself. We mean he's got a lot of money. He's got stuff. He's taken care of that, in that sense. But ultimately, it can very well lead to the destruction of our souls. It can lead us down that road. Because Jesus shared a parable about some seeds going down to some soil. 
And one of those seeds, he said, it can be the seed of God's word can be planted in someone's heart. And then the very next day, it can be choked to death by weeds. And what are those weeds? The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of gaining more, of greed, of that which I don't have, I want to gain. It's the deceitfulness of riches. And a man who could have been saved has now forfeited that and forfeited his soul. Why? Because the world told him to want more and he agreed. And he said, yeah, I do want more. I want more. I believe that lie that if I don't have what the world is offering, then I will lose out. And so he gains the world. He's done well for himself and he forfeits his soul. So comparison, unhealthy comparison leads to coveting, leads to envy and jealousy. And we're gonna see how it leads to hatred and then further to steal, kill and destroy. It can never satisfy it can never fulfill its promise of satisfaction. Okay, so we're gonna look at the Bible now, a couple of uh, examples, and there are a lot of examples. When I was going through this and prepping this message, I was like, wow, this is almost in like every story I feel like, so let's just pull out some of the more obvious ones. <clears throat> the first one would be Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, if you're not familiar with the story, Cain and Abel are presenting an offering to the Lord, and Abel presents an offering of his flock, a sacrifice, and Cain instead presents an offering of vegetation, of fruit, and God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's offering. And what happened was Cain got jealous. He was envious that his younger brother was more blessed and received than he was. And what did that lead him to do? He led his brother out to the field one day and killed him. And then he lied to God about it. <clears throat> it's been said that the sin committed by the first man has caused the second man to kill the third. Sin pollutes. It really does. But hey, we can't judge Cain because we we're no better than Cain. If we're honest about this, we're not any better. When a younger, especially if it's a younger person, if a younger brother or sister has like some special gifting that we don't have or is more blessed than we are, that can like rub us a little bit of the wrong way. Like it bothers us. And we, we ask questions like, well, what about me? What about me? What about me? It's very childish. And you know, when essentially in the parable of the labor and the, the vineyard owner, when he was asked that question essentially by the, the worker, what about me? He answers by saying, well, what about you? <laughs> I love that. It's like, what about you? I gave you exactly what I promised. You know, he, he, I didn't have to hire you. You were just, I could have left you standing around twiddling your thumbs. The implication being that the worker was acting out of pure selfishness. Me, 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 me. And that's the root of the issue. You know, if, if the worker maybe didn't, if they didn't all line up in a line, I, I thought about that. I was like, well, why did he make them see what everyone got? He lined them up and he's like, I want you to watch what I give them. And maybe if he didn't see, like if they had like Venmo back then and they just could secretly Venmo and like, all right, I got my dinner. He's happy. He's got no comparison. Because he's like, I worked, I got paid, I'm going home, I'm eating dinner, I'm going to sleep. It's a great day. No comparison. Why did he, why did he line them up? You know? And I often think, well, why does God allow us to see the blessings of others? It's like not out of reach either. It's like, well, he's like, that's like my friend. That's like my family. That's like my whatever. It's like right there. You can see it. I mean, it is really to get to the heart, to test us. Because what do you say at the very end of that? The last shall be first. The first shall be last. In other words, don't always long to be the first. Don't always long to be on top. Maybe that's a better way to say it. The top shall be bottom. And the bottom shall be top. <clears throat> Maybe that makes more sense. All right, another story. Joseph and his brothers. Joseph and his brothers. So Jacob, Joseph's 
dad had many sons. Uh, so did Abraham, actually. Abraham, <laughs> many sons had Father Abraham, but he had a bunch of sons. There we go. <clears throat> and Joseph was one of his favorites. In fact, it literally says that Joseph was his favorite. So all, it starts off with bad parenting in that area, but he gives Joseph this fancy coat, and his brothers see it, and they get a little jealous. Nothing big. They're just like, that's kind of lame. Uh, but then it goes on to say that Joseph would have these amazing dreams, and he would share these dreams, and, and he would tell them how, hey, you brothers of mine and parents, y'all are going to be bowing down to me one day. Isn't that awesome? And they get a little more jealous. That one's like, okay, I can understand why you'd be upset about that. That's just not, so also not wisdom on Joseph's part. Um, but it just led to, to further and further extremes of jealousy and envy in their heart that one day they decided, you know what, let's kill him. Let's kill him. They were intending to kill him. Instead, they sold him off to slavery, but it makes no difference. And then they lied about him being torn apart by a beast. Again, do you see the road that was traveled? It was comparison that led to envy, that led down to hatred and killing. That was their intent. Saul and David. Here's another one. Saul and David. We know this one. David slew Goliath. He slew him real good. And... He then continued to do battle and lead, lead fights for, for, for Saul and the Israelites. And upon returning from battle, the people of Israel would be singing the praises of David and Saul, just not as much, right? They would say, David has killed his tens of thousands and Saul his thousands. And it says in 1 Samuel 18 that Saul heard this and he was jealous. And he was envious. And he's like, wait, they're only giving, they're, they're ascribing to David 10,000 and to me 1,000? And envy took root right there. And it it caused him to darken his mind and start to think evilly. And so rather than rejoicing in the victory, I mean, if you think about it, his, his team just won, his joy was stolen. He, his, he, did he forget he was on the winning team, right? What, was, what caused him to forget that he literally just won a big, huge battle and con, is, is winning? His team just won. Game six. All right, last one, Pharisees and Jesus. We know this one for sure. Matthew 27, 18, Jesus says, or it says this, for he, Jesus, knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. Because of envy, they handed him over. And so what I want us to see here is that, one, obviously there's a path, there's a pattern that, that starts with comparison that leads to death, but we may not act out, hopefully, as Cain and as you know, Saul in attempting murder. Um, but if we remember the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if it's in our heart, God sees it the same. He says, if, you've, if you lust with your eyes, you are, you've committed adultery. If, you've, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've committed murder. Maybe it hasn't played its way out fully, but it's there. And you know, we may say, well, I don't hate anybody. True, maybe, but you're on that road. <laughs> you're on the road. I mean, if you're traveling east on 290, you're gonna eventually end up in Houston. So yeah, you, you say, I'm not in Houston, okay. But you're on the road, and if you don't take a quick exit soon, you will be in Houston. I, I don't think, when I think of the story of Joseph and his brothers, I'm like, I don't think his brothers thought in the very beginning one day they would sell him as a slave or try to kill him. They just were bugged. That's where it started. That bugged me. And then it just kind of grew. Same with Cain. Do you think Cain thought he was partnering with the devil when he killed his brother or when he was like 
entertaining this envious and, and jealous thoughts. Comparison, when it goes unchecked, unchecked lead, gives birth to coveting, leads to envy and jealousy, leads to hatred, and ultimately to partner with the devil to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 John 3, 10 through 11 says this. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So you see how envy can lead to this destination? When we desire um, what God has not given us, it can harden our hearts and then ultimately blind us to reality and believe ultimately the lie that God is somehow holding out on us because he gave someone something else and someone something else over here and then we feel like, what about me? He, he is holding out on me. And this is the lie that Eve believed in the very beginning. It was, you know, when I, again, when I was looking through the Bible, I was like, this is like in every story. This is kind of scary. But it was even in the Garden of Eden. She saw something that was pleasing to the eye and she wanted it. And believe the lie that God was holding out on her, not giving her the things that she need, needed. And it's good for us to see uh, just what our flesh is capable of sometimes, to just be honest and look at like, where could this dwell? You know, like, where does envy live? What does it affect? And I would argue it affects anything and everything. To, from physical things to like, you could envy someone's house, someone's car, someone's clothing, someone's paycheck to less material things like immaterial things like looks or um, status or what you're invited to or personality or talents, abilities, things like that, your friend groups, you can envy there. But even one of the more dangerous ones is when it comes to spiritual things. We can envy spiritual things. Position in church, I guess that's a status thing. But even when it comes to spiritual gifts, we can envy that and it's terrifying. There's a story in Acts chapter eight there was a man named Simon who was a kind of a sorcerer, but I guess he was trying to turn away from that. Um, but he, he's hearing the preaching of Peter and he's seeing Peter lay hands on people and they're receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He sees a gift and he says, I want that. He, he pulls out his wallet and says, how much for that gift? I want that for myself. And you know, Peter just rebukes him. He says, may your money perish with you. You can't buy this gift. But it's there. It, even with spiritual things, with giftings, we can envy that. And I only say that to know so that we can be aware, oh, it's not just my car. It's not just clothes. It's, it's, it can affect the layer. It can go so deep. And if we're aware of that, we can overcome that. So how can we overcome? I know it's, it's kind of a gloomy start. I'm hearing it. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> gloomy start. Here we go. How can we overcome this sin of envy and jealousy? How can we overcome? And it starts, as I would argue probably everything starts, with knowing the truth about who God is. This is where it starts. And if it sounds too basic, I'm sorry, you're wrong. It is not. It is essential. Because when we understand, number one, that he is sovereign, it can change things. Maybe we don't hear that word enough. God is sovereign. Let me just say it over this church. God is sovereign. He determines your life. He's in control. Acts 17, verse 26. Paul is preaching the gospel to some people 
And he says this, he said, and speaking of God, he says, God determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God. He determined their times and the boundaries of their habitations. Ever thought about that? He determined where you would live, what year you'd be born, the city you'd be born in, the people you'd be born to, and the situation you'd be born in. He determined that. Now, he obviously knew we'd be born into a broken and fallen world, which is why in that verse it says that they would seek God if perhaps they might grow up around and find him, even though he's not far from any one of them. And he determines our boundaries. Psalm 16, verse five and six. It says, Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. In other words, the hand that was dealt to you is pleasant. You may not think that because you're looking at someone else's, but if, if taken rightly, that can be a seed that grows into a delightful inheritance. He is sovereign. And, and lastly, he, he determines our gifting. So not only does he determine our life and, and <clears throat> our boundary lines, but he decides what gifts we have and what we don't have. And sadly, we measure gifting according to the world. There's a certain thing of greatness, uh, status, and looks, or whatever. We, we, we sadly measure the same way. But God doesn't give gifts the same way like that. He gives gifts as he wills. It says in Romans 12, six, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. We have different gifts. Oftentimes, we compare apples to oranges. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Just as he wills will be the gifts that we receive. Now, knowing that he is sovereign may not just be, it may not be enough for you uh, or for me to, to fully overcome envy because we great, he's sovereign. The thing I would say, the other piece that we need would be knowing that he's good. If he is sovereign in control, great. I, he's, he's the boss, but is he a good boss? And the answer is yes. And when we trust his nature, when we know that he is good, we can be way more trusting of him. We can actually be content in the circumstances he's given us and we can be humble. We can be humble. And if the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy, God and his goodness comes to provide. He comes to give life and life abundantly. And he comes to bring resurrection life to the dead. He comes to restore that which the devil tries to destroy. That is good. He is good. And from that place, when we can understand that he is sovereign, where we're, we're just like so small, <laughs> in reality, but then he's so good that he loves us even though we're just a piece of dust, then we can learn to be content. We can learn contentment. It's a word that maybe my generation doesn't like. Again, because that megaphone that the world is holding says, do not be content. Want more. Want, want, want. But we can learn to be content when we do this. And this is what Paul said. He said he learned the secret of being content in any circumstance. In Philippians 4, said, whether, well, whether in plenty or in little, whether well-fed or hungry, whether having abundance or suffering need, I've learned the secret to being content. And I don't know which is more difficult, contentment, to, be, to learn contentment when you have abundance or when you have little. I would argue it's harder to be content when you have an abundance. It's harder. But what was that secret he said? He said, God gives to me. God gives. God gives me Provision. God gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
That was the secret. It was just, I, God's in, he's in control. He gives me what I need. I trust him. He's good. So if I have plenty, it's because God wants me to have plenty. If I have little, perfect. Because God wants me to have that. I trust him. He's the giver. He's in control. So when we start by knowing who God is, that will really help us in overcoming envy and jealousy. But the second thing that would help us a lot is, is also now looking down and looking around us and, and seeing we're a body. This is the body of Christ. We're, we're not just uh, a bunch of people gathering at a movie theater listening to a word. We're, we're, we are one body. And when we can understand this, envy and jealousy will have no place in this, in this church. So I want to ask a question. I want to give you a few seconds to think about it. Why do the gifts of God give more pleasure when they exist in ourselves than when they are given to our brothers or sisters? Just think about that for a second. Why does it give us more pleasure when it's in ourselves rather than in someone else who's in our body? In 1 Corinthians 12, um, Paul writes a pretty long um, paragraph about the body of Christ. And he starts to talk about how the foot doesn't argue or complain that it's a foot. The eye doesn't complain that it's an eye. The ear doesn't complain that it's an ear. Why? Because we're all one body. And he paints this picture. I won't have time to, to read it all. But what, what I want us to know is that the, the foot, just to take an example, doesn't compare with the hand. They're different parts of the body. They have different functions. Again, apples to oranges. And it doesn't say, well, I'm always covered by this sock and I'm always covered by this shoe and no one gets to see me and I never get the high fives. And the hand, the hand gets to like write all the checks and shake people's hands and do the hair and all the other things. And I just, I'm covered. It doesn't complain about those things because it understands its role in the body. And once this comparison sets in, we're on that path that leads to destruction. And when we begin, we begin to complain about God making me a foot instead of making me a hand, we're essentially saying, God, I don't trust how you made me. And which is another way to say, I could have done a better job. If I'm being honest, just give me a second of just brutal honesty here. In other words, when we envy a gift that is given to someone else and not to us, and, and we envy how someone else was made, we're taking it upon ourselves to teach God. We're teaching him what he should give and to whom as if God Almighty needed our wise counsel. Okay? I mean, it's crazy pride when you put it that way, but that is the way it is. It's, it is, it's unbelievable. But when, it's, when taken in this way, this type of spirit leads the believer to bury his talent that he's been given. Because he, and, and therefore doesn't use, use what he's been given for the strengthening and, and the good of the body of Christ. Because he's looking at the other guy who got 10 talents and he got one. He's like, that's not fair. I'm gonna bury my talents while the other guy's investing his and growing it. If you remember that parable, who got rebuked? This is the guy who buried his talent because he compared. And then the whole body suffers because your talent is a gift to the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if it's one, five, 10, 20, or 1,000. It's a gift to the body of Christ. It has its place and we need that. When you bury that, we all suffer. If only we could see the body of Christ, there would be no room for jealousy. Again, my foot has no problem with my hand. It understands that my hand is going to accomplish things that the foot will never accomplish. And it's okay with that. And in fact, it's more than okay with that. It rejoices in that. It celebrates that. And that's what it will be like for someone who understands the body of Christ. 
there'll be celebration and rejoicing with the gifts that God has given you and that God's given someone else. There's a rejoicing and a celebration. That's why it's important we understand this. And, it's, and it, when we envy another, we can't rejoice. <clears throat> There's friction there. That, maybe that's the arthritis setting in. It's like, ah, that hurts. But anyone who lives in close communion with the head will rejoice and be glad when another member of the body is honored. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. When one member suffers, all suffer. But when one member is honored, all rejoice. We have a problem with that honor one. That guy's getting honored, not me. You know, if my, my tooth, if I have a toothache, is it my tooth that just suffers? No, it's my whole body. If you've ever had a toothache, it depends on your pain tolerance, but for me, I'm like, wow, I can't move. Like, I, I'm done. It's over. But shit, like one suffers causes the whole to suffer. But it's the same on the flip side. If, we're, if I'm running a race, running a marathon, and I win first place, and my feet, who are carrying the brunt of the weight, I mean, impact, impact, impact. They're like doing a lot of work, just nonstop. They're just going. But in the end, my neck gets to receive the gold medal. My foot's not like, well, what about me? Like, wrap me up in the gold medal. It's, it's not like that, because it's a body. It looks up and sees the neck receive this gold medal and says, yes, we did it. I played my part, the neck's playing its part. The, the neck did nothing, right? It just kind of stood steady. You know, up, when you needed a water, it did that. Like, it didn't do anything. But we're one body. There's no envy or jealousy in there. We can't have that. <clears throat> Amen. So when we understand the body of Christ, we can truly love one another, and we won't even be tempted with envy or jealousy because we see the different giftings. And the last thing that will help us overcome envy and jealousy is now to look inward and to know ourselves just a little bit. What I mean by that is this, is this is what I would call a healthy comparison. If that's an unhealthy comparison, a healthy comparison is looking at what you have to what you deserve. We, we don't like thinking about this or maybe we just move on with life. But imagine the worker in the parable of the um, landowner. If he had, even when he was lined up and saw everyone receive a denarius just like he, if he had only remembered in the very beginning how he started that day, if he just said to himself, well, I... I didn't have a job. I wouldn't have a denarius. I wouldn't be able to feed my family. But now I can. Okay, that changes things. He, he saw himself rightly. It's seeing yourself rightly, seeing your situation rightly, that can make all the difference. And so if unhealthy is to compare what you have to what others have, healthy is to compare what you have to what you deserve. That's a healthy comparison. And let me take a minute to remind us what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. It is death. It's not a slap on the wrist. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Not you weren't bad, you were dead. <clears throat> you were by nature a child of wrath. It's not a timeout. This is, you were, you revealed the wrath of God. He, he, his wrath is revealed against unrighteousness, says in Romans 1. And those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We were alienated and hostile in mind, enemies of God, engaged in evil deeds. We deserved punishment. We deserved punishment. And then we look around at what we have, okay? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, what do you have that you did not receive? I wonder if Paul's being like sarcastic here. Like, what do you have that you didn't receive? Like, and if, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? 
In other words, everything we have is a gift far beyond what you and I deserve. Everything. Because we have been polluted by sin. We don't understand what that leads to. But even from a very young age, sin has been producing and, and earning us death, the wages of sin. And we find that we have loved darkness rather than light in many ways. We find that we don't want to submit to God. We want to be in charge of ourselves. We, we say, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It's a famous quote from an old poem. We've profaned a holy God, sinned against him, and therefore we deserve punishment. We deserve prison with the sentence of death. We've been found guilty. We've broken the laws of God and have been found guilty. Even if you think you've only broken one or two, you've broken them all. You are guilty. That sense of guilt that we've experienced in the past, um, it was right. You felt guilty because you were guilty. We were guilty of, of breaking the laws of God. And then we had that, that inner voice, that conscience bearing witness with us. It says in Romans chapter two, it either defends or accuses you. So when you have that sense of guilt in your life, it's because your conscience is saying, yes, because you're guilty. And we deserved hell. We deserved hell. Okay, here's the thing. There is an instance in which jealousy is good. And it's when you have this zealous passion to defend what is yours. It's, it's this vigilance, this righteous vigilance that rises up when what belongs to you is threatened. And from our fallen and broken and sinful state, deserving nothing more than hell, the jealous love of God appeared. And he says to us, you're mine. You're mine. I won't let anything else get in the way. He was jealous for us. Therefore, while we were helpless, I mean, you're in prison, you can't get out. While we were helpless, he says, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were sinners, he died for us. We were enemies of God. Yet while we were enemies of God, he reconciled us through the blood of Jesus and brought us back to the kingdom of light. We were bought with a price and were no longer ours. The punishment that we deserve fell upon him. We belong to God. We are his possession. He is our Lord. He has every right over us. And this is where we find a really good, jealous love of God. Because when we deserved hell, he saved us. He saved us. And he loves us tremendously. And he won't let and he won't tolerate at all any idolatry in our lives because he loves us and he's jealous for us. Song of Solomon writes it this way, love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Next time you're staring in front of the campfire, winter's coming, think, man, that's how God loves me. He consumes everything that will get in the way of his love. He'll burn it up. Nothing will get in the way. And so when we give our praise, our worship, our devotion to another, in the case of envy, it's ourselves, coveting, we stir up the jealousy of God. And rightfully so. And I just want to say that is a good sign. It means he loves you. 
if someone was hitting on my wife and I was just like, eh, you'd be like, dude, that's your wife. Don't you love her? But if I'm like, get back or, you know, might, you might end up in a body bag. You know, like, that's okay. Maybe that's extreme, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like a sleeping bag. That's what I'm talking about. Like, take a nap. <laughs> Come on, you guys. Wow. <laughs> but I want us to see this. He paid the highest price for us. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish. That is what we deserve, perish. If you think about, man, I don't have that, but what do I deserve? Perishing is what you deserve. But if you put your faith in him, you don't perish. And instead, what does he give you? Eternal life, everlasting life. That's what you have. Now compare that to what you deserve. Oh, man, that'll lead you down the road of thankfulness. That's that last graphic we pulled up right here. A healthy comparison leads to humility. Say, wow, I was guilty, yet he set me free. So that gives me thankfulness and joy and love now. Ultimately, I can love my brothers and sisters. And they can have what God gives them. Bless them. And we'll get the band to come on up. I'm losing track of time. Band, come on up. Some of us who are still feeling that sense of guilt in this room, I would argue there's probably people here now. I just want to, I want you to know this. Coming to church and doing church things won't take that feeling away. It'll, it, it's kicking the can down the road. It'll come up again and again. But what will help you is to know that his, know his loving kindness like know his loving kindness and allow his jealous love to lead you to repentance. What will help you is if you turn from your sins, put your sins in the past, be done with them, put your faith on the cross. That will help you. And in fact, what God says is what he does at that point is he takes your sins and he removes them from you as far as the east is from the west. And that though your sins are like scarlet, though your conscience says you're guilty and you can agree, Yes, I am guilty, but Jesus, take it from me. And he says, I'll take it, and I'll wash you white as snow. You've been washed white as snow, and you didn't have to be. He loved you. He loves you a lot. And he's got a jealous love for you. But not only that, for the church, for those who have been washed, there is a godly jealousy that you would remain faithful to Christ. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11. I am jealous for you, this is a good one, with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present to you as a pure virgin. I am jealous for you, church, to be betrothed to God. A good jealousy is when God is the subject. It's like, hey, I, he deserves what he paid for. He paid for you. So don't give yourself to someone else. I mean, this is the entire story of the prophet Hosea, right? Man, the prophets had to go through some stuff. They did. I mean, God says to Hosea, you're gonna have to marry a prostitute so that you know the feelings. I can tell you the words, but I want you to experience it so when you preach to my people Israel, you will have, you will have depth of experience of, of what it feels like when the love of your life, the one that you bought and, and that is yours is walking away from you. And when we turn to coveting and wanting something else and envy and bickering and, and, and comparison, we, are le- we're, we think we're just like, oh, I'm just getting a drink with someone else and you go home to your husband. 
No, that, that's not okay. That's when the jealous love of God appears and says, no, keep that simple and pure devotion to Christ because he loves you. He loves you. Let's go ahead and stand. I'll wrap it up. <clears throat> So for honest, envy and jealousy, coveting, this whole road, eastbound on 290, I guess as I described it, <laughs> is um, let's just not be naive about that. And let's not be naive about this little innocent desire that one day, or this innocent grudge that turns into all of a sudden you hate somebody. And we can overcome that simply by keeping our eyes fixed on God and seeing, and, and even declaring and, and remembering he is sovereign, he's good. And then seeing the body of Christ and seeing how beautiful it is that Christ has distributed his gifts through his spirit to all people. Now, we don't have to carry it alone. We can lean on one another. We can truly be a body. My pinky finger doesn't have to do it all. It's got the rest of the body. And then lastly, just by remembering what we really deserved. Just every now and then, I mean, when you look at the cross, we think of the cross, think that's where I should have been. I should have been nailed to a cross and separated from God forever. <clears throat> but he saved me. He rescued me. And so instead of counting someone else, else's blessings, let's, let's count our own. Let's thank God. I, will, I would like some uh, life group leaders, prayer team, come on forward. Um, just in response, I believe the Lord is just speaking to some of us here. And if you are still carrying that bag of guilt and you've tried things, you've tried maybe church, you've tried reading the Bible, you've tried all sorts of things, but if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ and say this guilt, it starts by saying, yes, it is mine. I own that. Now, Lord, help me. Take it from me. Take my sins. Take my sins. And let me be consecrated to you instead. I want to surrender my life. Give him your life, and he will wash you white as snow. That guilt can be gone forever. There are countless testimonies in here. If I asked for a show of hands, it'd be basically the whole room of that moment, that time when you were guilty, and then he said, now you're free. There's no greater experience in life than that. You can experience that right now by faith, if you believe. And then for the rest of us, let's search our heart. Let's do some, ask for the spotlight of heaven. The Lord, shine on me. Is there a place in my life I need to repent of envy and of jealousy and of coveting that which you have not given me? And if so, Lord, I trust you. Just say, I trust you. You can trust him. He's good. You really can. You're here, aren't you? He, I mean, he's gotten you through some stuff. He'll get you through more. Heavenly Father, we just bow before you and we just confess that we are so unworthy and unrighteous without you. And of ourselves, we can do nothing. But Lord, your word says, with you, we can do all things. Holy Spirit, would you come and move on our hearts? Would you convict us of sin? Would you help us to, to bow our knee, to submit to you, to not try to be the masters of our own fate, but to look to the cross and say, it's Jesus, it's Christ alone. He is the one that's worthy of my adoration and my worship. I won't give it to another, and especially not to myself. So come, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us right now.
as we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.